continuing on with an interview with a very special man, an, an anthropologist, and um, we're in we're in Vancouver. It's September 30th, and I'm talking to Dr. Cyril Belshaw. So, um, Dr. Belshaw, I'm just going to go back to this uh, book. It says, Cuso's involvement with the Campuchian refugees began almost by accident, as had its involvement in Thailand during the 1960s, as in other countries too. Cuso's work in the Land of Smiles, that's in Thailand I guess, originated with one of the men involved in the founding of Cuso, Dr. Cyril Belshaw, director of the Regional Training Center of the United Nations Fellows at the University of British Columbia in 1960. Belshaw was actively involved in the President's Committee for a Canadian Overseas Student Service through contacts with Louis Perenbaum yeah. and Francis Leddy. Yes. Okay. He attended the first planning meeting in 1961 to address the idea of a national organization. So um, then the following June at the founding meeting in Montreal, Belshaw seconded the motion which led to the first draft of the Constitution of CUSA. That's what it says <laughs> about you in there. Okay. Now, Louis Perenbaum, he, yeah, yeah, he, he yeah, recently well, passed well. away. Just recently? Yes, yes, last year. And oh. his wife, Nancy Garrett, lives in, in Vancouver. Uh, How did you know Louis Perenbaum? Through, through, through this, these events that have been described in the book. Yes. Uh, I, I don't think I... Now, is, is it possible? Is it possible that he was involved in some way with the Canadian Committee for UNESCO? Yes, he was. Your good memory. Yeah, and well, I, I... Yes, in that case I knew him... From then? Before. Okay. Before Cousseau. And what were your memories of Louis Perenbaum? Do you remember the man? Oh, I remember him as a man. I don't remember details. Okay. But he was uh, a very solid administrator. Yes. Uh, very thoughtful, very quiet, mm -hmm. um, very methodical. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he uh, was our first executive director at Houston. That's right. That's uh, right. Yes, I, I'm. Uh, I'm sorry I lost touch with Cuso, but I had so many other things. I guess I can't remember exactly why. Well, now you're but, in touch uh, again. Oh yes. So <laughs> recent news: Cuso and VSO have merged. So that Which, VSO, that English organization. Oh, they merged. They merged, and now we're an international organization, and I liken it to being on board of the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> Organizations are part of it. So VSO Bahaganan in in the Philippines, VSO Jitali, VSO Ireland, uh, the VSO in Holland. Uh, so there are quite a few. And just I think well, yesterday, the uh, Latin American Caribbean region, which was part of QSO, is now part of the VSO International Federation. Things have changed enormously, haven't they? Have they have? But I think that. As an anthropologist, you'd be happy to know 
that now not only do we send volunteers north to south as right. we start as you started, right. it's now also south to south. In yes. that in that that's very important. I think so, don't you? Oh absolutely. Absolutely. I mean uh, well, I don't know whether you want to record this, but okay. <laughs> I have just written a book, oh, okay. which is not yet published. It's called Choosing Our Destiny. Okay. And it deals with uh, almost everything in the global universe. Okay. Um, nice. And I, I, I think, for example, that uh, India has an enormous. Uh, of course, the Indians have always been involved in, in international aid, one way or another. That's right. Uh, but um, their movement into, for example, the digital age and into scientific research, things of that kind, have a huge lesson for uh, many destitute countries in Africa. Mm -hmm. So what I am plugging for is that uh, stop thinking of uh, Africa as a place of mineral resources and things of that kind. Thinking, think of Africa as a place of people. And it is the people that are the main resource. They are the real resource of the various countries. Mm -hmm. So you can get a country like Malawi, um, which has very few resources of, of a commercial kind, but it has lots of people. You can get the Sahel, which has next to no resources, and but it has people. So the thing to do to get these is to bypass this issue of uh, material resources. resources and and invest heavily in education. Mm -hmm. Human resources. Uh, all the way okay. from primary school up to research institutes. Now they can, you know, if they've got minds. If they have the tools and the knowledge and the expertise, as, you know, they, they will, as they will have it. That's where these countries should be going. Mm -hmm. I think we're sitting here, Darlene and I, and we're both nodding our heads because both of us be having been to Africa and lived in Africa. Yes. I think we've, I feel strongly about that. Yes. I think that uh, Africans have a lot to contribute to oh, the world. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And most of the African leaders that I was able to meet would very much agree with you and are very much saying the same thing. Yeah. That the, that the, the opportunity is in the people. That's right, mm -hmm. that's right. But you see, most of the aid goes into commerce. Mm -hmm. Or things that have a, or or reducing profit, poverty, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but in a very material way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to go back for a moment to Papua New Guinea. Uh, you want that? Yeah. And you, yeah, it's on. Okay, so I'm sorry, yeah, but you know your book you sounds can... interesting, so I'd love to keep it in there <laughs> if you give me permission to. Right. Sure, no because I think it's a concept. I think we need to all pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, now we're going back to Papua New Guinea, and in Papua New Guinea in 1950s, I'm I've talked to a few volunteers that have served there, yeah. and. Uh, 
somebody who wrote a book called I Got uh, Sawdust in My Gotches. Oh. She's a lady that went with her husband and did um, uh, milling of yes. wood in the field. Oh, oh, yes. Uh -huh. So portable mills. Okay, so she came from uh, up, up north, up the Sunshine Coast. Yeah. She and her husband, both elderly, went there. And she was telling me stories about women and men in Papua New Guinea yeah. and the complex nature of the, of the society and structure. Oh, yeah. About men eating certain foods and women yes. not eating other foods. Yes, yes. Did you study that kind of thing when you well, were there? Well, that was part of, that was involved in, in my ethnography. Okay. Um, but, but what you've just said triggers a little story. Please go. Um, <laughs> I was going to go to Port Moresby, or, or Hanoabara is the name of the community, right next to Port Moresby. But I was going to spend a few months uh, getting my feelings of research in order. And so I went. Uh, to join, to, to, I went to southeast New Guinea, uh, where the little township is called Samurai, and across the water from there was a um, breakaway missionary unit, uh, breakaway from the London Missionary Society, because they believed uh, that it was called the Quato Mission. They believed that uh, they should put their, much more of their effort into uh, building, building enterprises rather than talking God all the time. Okay. And there was a man there called Cecil Abel. I'll never forget him at all. Okay. He was uh, one of the two brothers in charge of the mission. He had established around the bay in one little village what order? A uh, a milling enterprise. Okay. But he went further than that. He had designed prefabricated houses, probably about the size of this room. And he, he wanted to showcase the house in Port Moresby. So he gave me a house. He put it on his little uh, vessel, almost sunk the vessel, <laughs> took it to Port Moresby, got permission from the administration to have a tiny piece of land close to the village, and erected it in two days. Wow. And that was, that was his demonstration. Unfortunately, the, the uh, administration never picked it up, never went with it. However, it was my house in in Hanoabala. Mm, really? <laughs> was it nice? It was it was very clean, very nice, very it had a small bedroom. It had a living room with a camp kitchen. Mm. Uh, that was it. Mm. So whilst you were living in this portable um, uh, house, yes. uh, what are the local people living in? Well they live uh, they live in houses which are wooden. Uh, the houses were just destroyed during the war, uh, the whole village. They rebuilt, by the time I got there, they had been rebuilt 
and the various, um, let's call them clans, lineages, had a row of houses going out into the water on stilts. On stilts, okay. Yeah. And uh, they had, uh, uh, with a little walkway along. So the, there was a, uh, the, there was a region of about oh, 12 or 14 groups of houses that stretched out into the water. Wow. So all these years later, and we look back at the, at the history of this organization, in June 2011, we'll be celebrating our 50th. Yes. Please join us, sir. Oh, I'd love to. We'd love to have you there. <laughs> and we'd love for you to see the magnificent thing that you helped start. Yeah. And meet people like Darlene and others that have served many, many years later. Right. And I think, once again, I hate to repeat myself, but this model of, of uh, collaborating and working with the communities, instead of imposing what you think they need, right. really to be working with communities and asking them what yes. they need. Yes. And Darlene, you went to serve in Uganda and you were working. What were you doing? Yeah, please t tell Cyril about that. I worked for an, uh, an NGO, it was a network NGO, so it was uh, members of different NGOs within the region uh -huh. were members of this network, and they were all doing peace building work. It was in uh, along the border with Congo, so a bit of oh. a post-conflict post area. Yes. Uh, so originally trying to recover from that conflict, yes. and now moving into more day-to-day -day mediations and conflict resolutions in their communities. Right. Just to try and support the legal and justice system and the police yes. and yes. the police in that area who have a hard time right. basically doing their their work underfunded, understaffed, right. under resourced in so many ways. So these local citizens trying to step in and help resolve some of these conflicts mm. before they turn into more uh, violent armed conflicts. Yes. Yeah, yes. and so helping build their capacity to That's do that great. work. Yeah. Mm. Good one, eh? Mm. Mm. Stuff you can be proud of. <laughs> yeah, well, you see, that, that type of um, assistance was not there in the early days. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It was all really concerned with the basics. Yes. So it was, uh, we wanted engineers, we wanted school teachers, we wanted uh, uh, nurses, uh, yes. you know, it was that, it was that very, very fundamental, uh, at the time, yes. fundamental thing. Yes. But this movement into peacekeeping in a kind of a way, or sure. peace creating, yes. or, or uh, rehabilitation, yes. all those kinds of things. Um, Fascinating. Stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it's gone a long way. Well, in fact, there still would be numbers of of um, engineers and teachers and others. Oh, of course. But they would now be like the teachers, for example, would be teaching other teachers. Yes. Rather than teaching students, yes. they would be building the capacity of right. the teachers. Yeah. Of course. It's always capacity building because yes. what we don't want to do is go into a country and take the jobs away from the local no. people. Because yeah. thank goodness for oh, programs no. like QSOs. Uh, thousands and upon thousands of students were yes. taught yes. and are now teachers. And right. so I had a wonderful experience talking to a, uh, one of our alumni that had gone to um, back to the country where he served. Yes. And the student that was in his class was now a principal of a school. There you yeah. go. Fantastic. There That's you right. go. That's right. So well, you know, this was this is it's a, a fundamental principle not only with uh, Kusum, 
but for uh, technical assistance writ large. Uh, you, you mentioned Thailand, and I, as a result of my trip to Thailand and the work we did there, I wrote a paper, and the paper sets out the, the general principles which enable you to distinguish whether a project is contributing to um, international development ah, or not. Really? And um, uh, I, I think, you know, the th things I've said in that still stand. They still, what is the name of the paper, do you remember? Uh, I, I can show it to you. Yeah, well, please do, because yeah, that oh, yeah. would be interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, there are, there are two other things I'd like to mention as we go along. Let me see, what were they? Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's my job. Okay. I'm always well, forgetting. <laughs> one, oh, okay. I've got, I've got to deal with the big one first. Okay. I mentioned the book I'm writing. Yes. In the end, what, what I get to is uh, world government and international organization. And I'm saying, for various reasons, which I could take us a long time, the United Nations is not the organization we want it to be. Mm -hmm. um, and lay that out. And the fundamental reason it is not is it is an organization of nation states. We've got to get away from that because nation states are too selfish. Oh, put well put. And we need to have an organization which looks at the globe as a globe. Mm -hmm. And so you demote the nation states, as it were, to powerful local organizations. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the body that is the United Nations consists, will consist, I say, of a, uh, a meeting of peoples. So peoples will be represented rather than states. Mm. All right. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm challenging oh. people to see how you get there. Mm. Oh, yeah, how do you get there? And here's how you get there. <laughs> According to me. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> it's okay. You've got um, the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> you get there through the NGOs. Mm. If you scratch the back of any NGO, I'll bet you, any of the I'm, I'm talking of the big ones. I'm talking of of things like the new... Peace the, of the SO, yeah. the International Federation. Yes, yeah. things like that. And um, Amnesty International and, and Oxfam, etc., etc., etc. If you scratch their backs, the big problem they have all the time is dealing with the nation states. Mm, yes. I mean, if they want to get something done, they have to go through the hoops. Yeah. They have to go through the hoops. They have to, uh, and, and often they can't do what they want to do, and they're under, under uh, control of people who are not, not with them. Mm. So, I argue that we should have a World Federation of NGOs, which would take the responsibility for creating a world government. Wow. I'm saying they're the people who know a great deal 
about what the problems the are, problems are mm -hmm. in, in the structure of our politics. So let them let them try and persuade them to so I'm, I'm going to want the address of your organization mm -hmm. originally. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> You'll have it. So Dr. Belshaw, um, on just formally on the on the, our recording, yeah. thank you for all that you have done. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, 12,000 volunteers later, yeah. over 25 million hours of service yeah. all over the world. Yeah. You were right there in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> now I've got a couple of